you would remain standing and open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10, we're going to continue our study of Daniel. As you turn there, just think about what we just sang, plenteous grace with thee is found grace to cover all my sin, which is an astounding thing. We are great sinners. Let the healing streams abound, make and keep me pure within. We need these healing streams to abound in our lives. We're going to continue our study of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10, we'll read, we'll read the whole chapter. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, and the word was true. It was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like girl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision... Is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, 
pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. The word of the Lord. Let's ask for help. Lord, we need you. We read a passage like this. There's a lot going on, a lot we understand, a lot we don't understand. We need you, Lord. Help us in these moments. We would see Jesus. May your spirit be at work within us to bring conviction and faith, doing the things that we cannot do on our own. Would you be pleased to do these in Christ's name? Amen. You may be seated. We've said this a couple of times in our study of Daniel. It's, um, we're, it's like we're being given an opportunity to clean our glasses. Sometimes they get real foggy and oily and you can't really see well. Um, and I think in Daniel, we have um, one vision of this physical world that m- maybe we might convince ourselves that that's all that there is. All that exists is this physical and material world. However, Daniel's having none of it. He's having none of it. He's like, correct your vision, guys. There's more going on in the world. There's a a spiritual realm. There's spiritual realities that exist. Clean your glasses. In large part, I think that's what's going on in the second half of Daniel 7 through 12, where if you just read Daniel straight through, you're you're kind of cozy 1 through 6. And then you you hit 7, it's like you hit a brick wall. Like everything gets wild and crazy. So we're right in the middle of that crazy section. The whole world has been heaving this whole time. Empires rising and falling. And and the whole time Daniel, the whole time Daniel keeps his focus on God. He he keeps, he's showing us, I feel like, a a right perspective in life when, um, as we've said, I mean, he's he's in exile. He's been here since he was a teenager. What is it like to live your life longing for home his whole life? that, That never ends, by the way. And you're longing for home and and you're, you're not getting to go. That's where Daniel is coming from. But he, he takes his questions. Uh, one thing I love about him, his questions are directed Godward. His thoughts, his, um, 
his angst, his anxiety, the fact that he's in this situation, um, he, he doesn't just blast everybody with it. He, he directs it heavenward. I, I think he, um, he's a living example of what it means to sing the Lord's song in a strange land. That's what we're commanded to do. And there's overlap with every one of us. That's, this is part of our life as well. We are exiles. We are not home. We are pilgrims. We are on the way. So what does it mean for us to sing the Lord's song in a strange land? I think Daniel's a living example of that. We would be foolish to not look at his life and hear these words and, and learn some lessons from them. Again, his life was marked by struggle. Now, according to most commentators, like if you, you triangulate it, you can get a pretty good estimation on his age. He's, he's 85. An 85-year-old man. We know because there are time markers that are pretty clear, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a, in a minute. What is it like to be 85 and just longing for home? Or you still, he still faces Jerusalem, right? He still faces home to pray. What is that like? Chapter 10, in some ways, is the beginning of the end. It's the introduction to the end. We're actually going to step back in chapter 11, and then we're going to get some footnotes in 12. But this is the beginning of the end. So I think about this section, this chapter, in this way. What could God show His servant, who's 85, who has this tremendous longing just to be home? What could, what could He show him that would that would last for the rest of his earthly life. I think we have it. Chapter 9 presented Daniel's prayer for this process, and now it's begun. He sees the leaders rising and falling, and he sees Israel actually being allowed to, to go back into the land, just as God had promised through the prophet Jeremiah. As all of this is happening, good and evil are on the move. It, it has been said by a lot of people, and I completely agree, that all of Scripture could be said to be a footnote on this verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's way back in Genesis 3. Daniel has a lot of complexity, but it's as simple as this. Good and evil exist, and they are warring, they are fighting, and God wins through his man. God wins. Let that be a comfort to you today. The gospel is true. Good and evil are real. They exist in the world and they exist in here. It's true. God wins by His man. 
Sometimes, sometimes we look out in the world and we see evil. It's not all that different from when Daniel lived. Listen, we see empires rise and we see them fall. We see presidents come, we see them go. We see our, our politician wins, yay. We see our politician lose, boo. Like it, it, it's, it's all in God's hands. He, he's controlling all of it. Chapter 10, again, is, is moving us towards the end. We're going to look at this passage today in three parts. God's heart and Daniel's heart. God's response and sufficiency. And God's world set side by side with our struggles. First, Daniel's heart and God's heart. We, we learn in this text that Daniel has a heart that is beating like God's heart. What I mean by that is he desires things that God desires. When Saul was rejected, you remember that from being king? We're told that God had sought a man after his own heart to be king. In these first few verses, we find Daniel's an 85-year-old. Again, he's been there since probably 12 or 13 years old. He's seen Babylon, the king of the Medes, and now the Persians rule, and he's still in exile. Notice verse 1 again, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. This is now after the, the opening of the book of Ezra, which says this, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and then it goes on to let us know that in the first year, Cyrus issued this decree. And this decree said, Jews, you can go home. We're going to rebuild the temple. This is the third year. This is years later. This process, here's what I'm trying to say. Daniel knows that this process has already started. The Jews were allowed to return at least two years before this writing. And yet Daniel is not going back. He's going to die in exile. He's going to die as a minister of state in a foreign land. We aren't told why he's not going back. Maybe he has gout and he has trouble walking. Maybe he has arthritis. Maybe he has terrible eyesight and knows he can't really help Israel rebuild. Maybe he is compelled by his bosses, his leaders. We're not told. We just know he's not going back. Next, we see that Daniel, even in his old age, is observing a three-week fast. This is unusual because according to the, the timeline and, and everything that we're told in the text, this should be three weeks of feasting. He's celebrating the Passover, but instead of feasting, instead of this um, incredible joy, he, he is observing a three-week fast. 
No doubt by now he's received word that while the people are going back, not all of them are returning. And the ones that are going back are facing terrible problems. Yes, Israel, return, rebuild the temple. It's not going so well. A.W. Tozer says this, quote, The Bible was written in tears, and two tears it will yield its best treasures. God has nothing to say to the frivolous man, end quote. It was written in tears. And it exposes its treasure to us in tears. This is where Daniel is. This is where he is. Daniel knows that his people are struggling and he, he can't be at home, so he devotes himself again to prayer and fasting. Listen, any, any person who ever reads Daniel and doesn't come away with some sort of conviction about the lack of a prayer life, you haven't really, you need to go read it again. It's emphasized over and over and over again when this, this man is desperate. Listen, he is, he is an exile and has been. And, and where does he take that? I think so often you and I take it, uh, we take our desperation to whining. We take our desperation to gossip. We take our desperation to all these other inappropriate places. I think Daniel is pointing us correctly. He's utterly committed to the kingdom of God on earth. He utterly believes that it's true. We just prayed it earlier. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Daniel believes it. Even though he's not home, he believes that it's true. He believes that God is, he's utterly convinced of the goodness of God and the the truth of who God is and his, his love for his people. He's utterly convinced. He believes the promises, even though he will never see them fulfilled with his own eyes. It's, it's like the writer of Hebrews about Abraham and Sarah, right? They just wander around. They just wander around Israel. Sometimes down in Egypt and they weren't supposed to go there. And it says that they were looking for a city whose designer, whose architect and builder is God himself. That's what Daniel's doing. It's an 85-year-old man. He, he's, he's, looking, um, he's looking for answers that this world can't give. He's looking for truth that can't be found by his best buddy. He's not going to find these answers in the newspaper. He's he's desperately asking God for answers. Help is what he's saying. So rather than feast, he decides to fast and pray for his people because it's going terrible. Uh, um, Don't ever think you have nothing to offer in the kingdom of God. If all you have is desperation, child of God, pray. If you can't meet with another person, if you can't sign up for another thing, if you can't do a thing, you can, you can pray. In his weakness, Daniel prays in verse 11 and 12. We read, oh, Daniel, I love this. Twice in this text it says this. A man greatly loved... Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. 
When he had spoken these words to me, Daniel writes, I stood up trembling. He says, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Here's, here's the thing that we should all learn is that this kind of prayer life is born out of weakness. Listen, we're, we're Christians people of the gospel, we believe in a, a crucified and risen Savior. Um, and to do that, you have to admit weakness. You have to admit you don't have it together. You're flying to Christ because you can't save yourself. That's what prayer is doing. It's taking us outside of ourselves and saying, I need something that I can't produce. Do you know that you are weak this morning? Do you know that you can't outsmart the next issue that you're going to have in your workplace? Do you know that you can't, by your own effort, achieve greatness for the Lord? You might be able to win the the next promotion, but it's not going to be fulfilling Students in the room, do you you know that you can't make 100s on everything? Every single one of us has a weakness. Every single one of us. Questions that we can't answer, things we can't do, physical limitations... Daniel is pointing us in in that place, he's pointing us... to rightly orient ourselves toward God in those places of failure. When you have a friend have something devastating happen and and you can't do anything about it, pray. Daniel doesn't resolve his emotional hardship or his physical hardship by getting on the next wagon headed to Jerusalem. Again, he's, he's agonized his whole life. But the answer isn't physically go home. His answer is he gives himself to the Lord, fasting and, fasting and prayer. If the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will thrive and grow in a time such as ours, it, it's going to be because we are desperate and we become people of prayer. Sinclair Ferguson says this, quote, Daniel was committed to the long-term view of God's kingdom. He was in it for the long haul. The long-term view of God's kingdom. That's why he's fasting instead of feasting. That's why he's praying rather than partying. He, He has... A desperation still as an 85-year-old man for his people and his home. Why do you think he longed so much? Let me just ask this question here. Why do you think he longed so much for Jerusalem? Why do you think he longed so much for the temple? Why do you think he longs so much with all of his heart, his whole life, for sacrifices to be fired up again on the altar. Why? 
What does he want to see? He wants to see what what Jesus clearly tells us is true about him. He, He wants to see Jesus. The temple is all about Christ. What, what would leverage a, a, a man's life to, to, to fully pursue and, and pour himself out for a place like this? He, he was actually not longing for a place. He was longing for Jesus. Jesus clearly says, I, I am the temple. Destroy the temple and in three days it's coming back. All of, the, all of the sacrifices and everything about that temple, everything about Jerusalem, the heart of, of worship for the people of God was about a person. He longs for it because he's longing to see Jesus. Listen, that will sustain you. That will keep you through hardship. Longing to see him. I think the issue in our Christian lives the ups and the downs um, in, in the world that we have might not be our methods. We're, we're longing for the wrong things. All right, this isn't a study on how to pray. I'm not, I'm not telling you that. I think sometimes we're just longing for the wrong things. If it were me, I would be on the first bus back to Jerusalem. It's what he's always said, but he, his longings are way bigger than that. He's He's longing to see Jesus. Jesus tells a parable about a merchant who, and he's describing um, longing for his kingdom, who this merchant sees a pearl that's incredible. It's incredible. And he, he is utterly, and that, this is what he deals in. He's kind of a jeweler. And this guy leaves, he's kind of tight-lipped about it. He leaves, sells everything he has, to go by that. That's how valuable this is. And I, I kind of have a feeling that's what's going on in Daniel's life. Like his whole life is leveraged on the reality that Jesus is coming. A Messiah is coming. So from Daniel's heart and God's heart, we, we have those things going on. And, and by the way, it's not, I don't think the application of Daniel, and I've said this all along, is dare to be a Daniel. You, you are not going to be a Daniel. You are not going to see visions like this. If you do, we're going to have a talk with healthcare providers, uh, those kinds of things. I, I do think we can be like him in this way. We can, we can look to Christ, long to see him. We can remember the gospel. Second, God's response and sufficiency. Like chapter 9, Daniel um, Praise and God responds. A very similar structure in 10. He's praying and fasting and God responds. He has this vision. There he is on the side of the Tigris River. He's been praying and fasting for weeks, pleading with God. He gets a vision. And then he gets an interpretation. That's what's going to happen. The context of this vision is, again, the side of the river. He's in Babylon. It's basically in the center of Iraq. The Tigris and Euphrates kind of right there together. 
Daniel is the only one to get the vision, yet the others know something is taking place. It reminded me of uh, Paul's situation. You remember that? He's on the road. Everybody gets afraid. His lights go out, but he he has the vision, but others don't see it. Very, Very similar here. Look at the vision itself again in 5 and 6. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. Pay attention to some of these details. uh, With a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. He's, He's dressed in linen with this gold sash that should catch your attention these are priestly garments the the response of God to the terror of Daniel to his fasting and prayer is you need a priest You need a go-between, Daniel. You need someone between me and you to make things right, Daniel. God is going to, to do this. He's going to give you a priest, Daniel. Again, even as an older man, he gets a glimpse of Jesus Here's all of our sin. We, we want to go home and the Lord is not taking us home and things aren't going well. What are you going to do, Lord? Here. Here, Daniel. I'll give you a priest. I think the lesson for us could be the same. I want to go home. Things aren't going well. My job is terrible. I'm doing terrible in this class. I have... I have hard relationships with others right now. I'm utterly bewildered and utterly confused. And, and God is saying to, to you to, today, you need a priest. And you have one in Christ. That's the vision he gets. It goes on. Gemstones by a river bring creation to mind. It, um, so they're on the banks of a river. And he sees this, this person that... Um, Burl is kind of like a, it's just a gem. It's like a, a massive, uncut gem. His body is like that. It's creational imagery. Lightning brings lots of things to mind. In the Bible, lightning is used again and again as a symbol of the coming of the Lord and the prophets, as well as the New Testament, its power. Can you control lightning? No. His, his face is like that. You, you cannot control th- this one. <laughs> you can control a lot in your life and you can strive with all your might to control all, all the things around you going on in your life, but not lightning. His eyes are a flame of fire. It's a, another familiar image and we see other images of this in Revelation Acknowledging, and there it's very clear, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Combine all these images together, both priest and power, humility and glory, and who is this that we are seeing? 
There's only ever been one like that. It's not you. It's not me. It's, it's Christ. This is the vision that Daniel had to get as an old man laid down in a river. He, he had to see Jesus. Humility. And power. And glory. And beauty. What a great lesson for us here today. If you are weak, this is a great lesson. If you know that you aren't enough, this this is a great gospel. If you know that your life is not exactly what you want it to be, that you're not exactly what you want, the, the, the vision for your life isn't really just trudging along like you thought, this is a great vision. It's also terrifying. One commentator, the knowledge of God's work of grace in the past encourages us to trust Him and seek His blessing in the present and for the future. If you know that God has sustained you and and you remember that you're weak, you, you know that He will continue sustaining you in the future. We all kind of want this me and Jesus experience. I know sometimes I do. Like, and that's really comfortable. Like, it's just me and Jesus and every, everything's great. And we're all comfortable with that. But you rarely see that happen in Scripture. I don't think you ever do. Remember what happened when Jacob met the Lord? Was that nice and civil? No, it was combative. They met in combat, they wrestled all night, and then he had his hip taken out of socket, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. What happened when David prayed about this earlier, Isaiah 6, when the prophet met God? Was that nice and cute and comfortable? No, what did he say? He just cries out like, woe is me. (laughs) He's flat on the ground. wiped out by the presence of God. Daniel here encounters this vision and he's utterly overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. And in some senses, we could say that the rest of the chapter is just getting Daniel back up, talking and walking again. Someone is sent, an angel is sent to intervene for him, to, to let him recover from this vision. I think that tells us something of Jesus, of his glory and majesty. I think we like a Jesus that is just me and Jesus, a a trifling thing. This vision is having none of it. The visions recorded for us in Revelation are having none of it. He's utterly been shaped So I guess the the questions that I have is how has Christ shaped you? How has He changed your life? How has He... Is there any difference after you encountered Christ from before? Think about your own testimony. Like I know I was this, headed in this direction, then I met the Lord Jesus and now I'm here. 
Has the gospel impacted how you think about your own life and how you interact with others in the world? Has your encounter with the gospel, has your meeting Jesus shaped the way you think? Has meeting Jesus had an impact on the way that you love others? Are you more compassionate now as a follower of Christ than you were before? So this all leads to our last point from the sufficiency of God to save Daniel and his people to God's world and our struggles. The last section ends with, again, Daniel's lying on the ground and the the whole thing is really about him getting up and being able to talk again. What helps this old man up? And He's 85, he's in exile, he's seen so much and now he's terrified. The first answer I want us to see is something that's already been told to Daniel. Verse 11, O Daniel, man greatly loved. What a great answer for the hurting heart. What a great answer for the Christian. Listen, you should be able to tell somebody who's in distress, especially a brother or sister in Christ, you're greatly loved. Isn't that fantastic to hear? Like I can be having a a terrible day, like everything is going wrong and physically I know I'm weak. But to be reminded, you are loved. Isn't that a gift? Isn't that exactly what we get in the person of Jesus? 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Oh, Daniel. He's laying on the ground, this old man, this old exile. Daniel, you are greatly loved. Listen, maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to hear that in Christ, you are greatly loved. And this is love. Not that it's not our examples of love. Not that we are so good at loving God, but that He loved us. And what is the ideal that, it, that is given to us there that He came into the world and was crucified, dead and buried and rose Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. So he goes on in 12 and 13. I've come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. There, there, there are problems, again, with Israel going back into the land. They're struggling with it. We know that when Cyrus was away, his son became ruler over the Persian kingdom. And we know that he did not like this project He tried to stop it. He was a terrible ruler. Cyrus was good. He heard from the Lord. So he said, okay, you guys rebuild. His son takes over and things go terrible again for the Jews. It's very interesting to me though that what what the angel is telling him to kind of strengthen him is that these struggles that are going on on earth are because there's a spiritual battle going on. Did you hear it? It's in the text. Earthly struggle, 
Daniel is terrified. He sees this vision. And this, the messenger comes in and says, I've been fighting. I've been fighting my way to you. And I needed help. Michael came to help. And we got, we got to you, Daniel. There, there's more going on on earth in this life, in this realm that meets the eye. That's why our New Testament lesson, what David read earlier, Ephesians 6, your real battles aren't with flesh and blood, with co- cosmic, but with cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I think in every book that we've looked at since Esther, so it was very clear in Esther, very clear in Daniel, Advent series in Revelation, very clear, this is, there's a spiritual battle going on. There's more than meets the eye. We are so convinced that we live in a material world. That's why this comes up again and again and again as application because this is my heart too. I'm convinced that it's just a material world. It's just the things that we can see. But it's not. That's what Daniel's being told. Hey, it's not all there is. The first thing that Daniel is meant to hear is that he's greatly loved. The second is that there's more to this world than he can physically see. Daniel prays and he hears and Daniel is not God, but God decreed for this angel to come out to him, to instruct him, to encourage him. We are in an election year. It would be so easy to throw all our hopes and dreams into this election cycle. We have a country, and in this country we have so many blessings. But again, I think the temptation for us is to believe that it's all material. That it's all just stuff. However, we have to remember that we are not the center of history. God's plans are bigger than our policies. That's what utterly matters in the end. Abraham Kuyper said this, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose our spiritual vision to our spiritual vision, a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the firecrest battle fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but there. That is where the real conflict is engaged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash." We see fierce and terrible battles unfolding in real life. Terrible things. And I love Kuiper's vision, which is, um, that's just the mere wake of the real battle that's going on. Again, Daniel will be dismayed, knowing that all this conflict is going on. And again, he will need to be strengthened. And verse 19, again... O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. 
Again, you have this vision that's terrifying, and then you're told, hey, this conflict is going on. The real conflict in the world is going on behind the scenes. You can't actually see it. And so again, he is told, and get up. Come on, old man. You're loved. Stand up. Let's get some of the, the muddy bank off your sleeves. You're loved. What great news. And I can say this in Christ to all of you. You're, you're not alone and you're loved. We see that in the person and work of Jesus. And exile, this is what we need and we are given it. We, we are given a, a vision of this. Um, and I wanted to end it with just kind of overlay this section of Daniel reading this section of Revelation 19. Let me read it. Then I saw heaven open and behold a great white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the vision we need. He's come. His robe is dipped in blood. Do you believe? Do you hear him say you are loved? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Passages like this can be bewildering and um, difficult, but we pray that you would encourage us by them. Lord, in Christ, let us hear this morning that we are loved. Let us catch a vision that will sustain us through hardship. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.